Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly forgot, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fevent heat. Both the earth and the works are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since these things will be dissolved, the manner of persons ought you to be holy in conduct godliness, looking for a hastening and the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and elements will not melt for a fervent heart. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for, a new, for new heavens and a new earth in which right, righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they also do, uh, sorry, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall, from your own steadfastness, being led away with the air of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. Are we okay, Michael? We, we okay on battery on that? Okay, great. Hey, can I get uh, uh, Peter and David real quick? Come up and. Help me out for just a second. I think with the, uh, if you just make sure, all those who can uh, and able, I think we should have enough for everybody that's here. I might start with older ones, and then if there's enough left, we'll give the younger ones a a copy, but I think we should have plenty of of copies. This will kind of help you uh, walk through where we're going to be this morning, okay? I thought it would be helpful to have something in your hands you could kind of Look through and walk through. How many of you ever seen one of those signs? Someone carrying around a sign, big thing over the top of them. The end is near. Anybody ever seen one of those, folks? 
or something to that effect. The end is coming, the end is near. Well, you know, there's, there's a lot about what they have to say is right. In fact, we see in 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand. Right? The end of all things. We're talking about today these end times. And lots could be said here. I'm going to ask if you would join me in a word of prayer, and then we're just going to jump right in. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, we're looking at a subject matter this morning that has uh, fuse-blowing potential in, in the lives of some of your servants. And instead of walking humbly, which is what you've called us to, we can, if we're not careful, walk pridefully in this area. We can, we can walk somehow thinking that we've arrived as the authority on the end times. And we can be the, the most learned one here and yet be lacking the humility that you have required of us. Your word calls us to be humble and to humble ourselves under your mighty hand. Humility is what we need to walk rightly with you, Lord. And so as we prepare to study your word this morning, and as I speak about these end times from your word, I pray that you would help me to do so with the spirit of humility and help this people and all who are listening to this message to have ears to hear with a spirit of humility. And I pray that we all in Christ, that we all together would walk humbly with you. We ask, Lord, that you would have your way with us this morning, that you would teach us your statutes, that you would make us walk in the path of your commandments. And with great expectations of what is yet to come, I pray that in the meantime we would be found faithful, living soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. We pray all these things in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. Amen. (coughs) Excuse me for just a moment. I better get a water. Uh. Oh, pardon me. This morning, I hope to give an end times tutorial. Hopefully on your sheet there, you're able to see that. We're going to kind of go through that. There's a few blanks on there. You can fill in those as we go. But I don't want you just to be listening for the word to fill in the blank. That's one of the dangers of a fill in the blank. Is, is it you're, just, you're just waiting to fill in that next blank. I want you to get what the blank is, okay? Uh, and I think as you're listening, it'll become clear what the blank is. But I also want you to use the sheet, write down some other things that the Lord may be speaking to you this morning about what we're talking about, okay? Use use the opportunity. Use the time that we have here this morning with God's word open. Let's steward it well, amen? Steward his word well. Let's listen, let's be attentive to what he has to teach us here this morning. End times tutorial. We've come to the eighth and final message in our series, What We Believe, right? We've been tracking through our statement of faith here at Hope in Christ, and For all of those who call Hope in Christ their church home, hopefully this has been a helpful exercise to all of you here, confirming what we believe is a body of Christ, grounded and rooted in God's word, okay? But for those who are not a a regular part of Hope in Christ, uh, I do pray this series is also helpful, even if you get a chance to come for one of the eight, all right? I I pray it's helpful because um, I think when people are searching, when people are looking for a church, one of the questions oftentimes that they're asking is, what do they believe? What's this church believe? And so over the last eight weeks, what we've been endeavoring to do 
as the Lord's uh, given words, is to paint a sort of broad brush to help answer that question. What does this church believe biblically? And I think that's an important uh, word to put in there, biblically, because we, we didn't make this stuff up. What we believe, we hold to because it's God's word. Okay? We unashamedly point to God's word. This is what we believe. This is what we stand on. And so, knowing what we believe, we've talked the last several weeks about God. Let's review them real quick. Okay? Knowing what we believe about God. Knowing what we believe about Jesus. Knowing what we believe about the Holy Spirit. Right? Knowing what we believe about the scriptures and the authority that the scriptures are in our life. Knowing what we believe about salvation. Right? Week six, we talked about uh, what we believe about the uh, creation of man. And about the doctrine of man. Why are we here? Big picture. And we also talked about the fall of man. Where'd sin come from? Right? Some basic ideas and concepts. And last week we spoke on what we believe about the church. And we define the church as that redeemed community of called out ones. People who are consumed with giving God glory in all things all the way to the finish line. Right? That's who we are. God's redeemed community. So we end the series today by asking the question that we've been asking all along. We've been asking this question, what does God have to say about, right? Well, today we're going to fill in the blank. What does God have to say about the end times, right? That's, that's our subject matter today. What do we believe? What are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about the end times. And perhaps we're going to talk about the end times in a way that you wouldn't have guessed, I'm not going to have, and if you notice on your sheet, it's not there. It's not going to be on the board. We're not going to talk about whether you're a pre-trib, pre-millennial, post-millennial, post... We're not going there this morning. So for those of you that were hoping that you would hear my stance on where I'm at and what we as a church... I'm I'm not even talking about that. Not because I don't think it's important or significant, but it's not most important. It's not most significant as we speak to the end times. I'm hoping and praying that as we track through this one epistle, Second Peter, that it will help us and give us some great handles. It will serve as a tutorial to help you understand these end times. So, my objective is essentially to provide you with an end times tutorial. You know, it's, about, it's hard to believe it's been about 17, 18 years ago now. I was working as a, a tester and, and a document person for my brother-in-law. He was a software computer programmer. And for about a year, year and a half, I worked with him. And I told him, I, have n- I don't know anything about computers. And he said, you're the right person for the job. He goes, because I want you, as the, as the person who tests the software, I want you to be like the, just the average user who doesn't know. And you're going to try and blow it up. And when you try and blow it up, you send it back to me. I'll fix it. And I'll send it back to you. And you try and blow it up again. And back and forth we would go. Well, once it got done, then my job was to write the help software. So I would write the how-to. And so one of, the, one of my jobs was when we'd get done with the software and it would go to the company that we were sending this and doing this program for, I would also give them a help menu, a package that they would be able to look and it would, it would serve as a way to help them navigate through this new software. It would come complete with uh, showing them screenshots, right? And, but also with words on paper, walking them through how to go from A to B. 
that was my job. I helped them try to understand what they were using in terms of this software. Well, the idea in our time today is to provide you a tutorial of sorts on the end times. And using God's word, I hope to provide you with a helpful handle on the subject matter. And so, as in previous weeks, there is an asterisk attached to this message as well. A lot more could be said about the subject matter of the end times. We're not going to exhaust it today. There's a whole lot here, okay? But what is said in our time, I pray, will be clear from God's word and user-friendly in the sense that it gives you a greater understanding of the subject matter. Listen, a tutorial doesn't explain all there is to know. A tutorial is intended to help you explore all that's there. Okay? It's there to help you use it most effectively. It's intended to provide an inroad to the new software. And as you spend time in God's word, you notice a whole lot is said about what is yet to come. Right? Today's tutorial isn't going to give you all that's in here. But I do hope it sets you in motion to explore all that is here. Fair enough? Okay? That's the idea. That's the concept. I'd like to use Peter, and in particular his second epistle. Uh, thank you, boys, for reading the last chapter, uh, chapter 3 of Second Peter. And, and so if you don't have your Bibles open there, go ahead and turn them there. We'll be looking at various verses. I'd like, in fact, to look at the beginning. Look at how this book begins. Simon Peter... A bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. A bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. So Peter, the writer, he's one of, if we look at uh, chapter 1, verse 21, he's, Peter is one of the holy men of God, right, who spoke as he was moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter is one of those men, okay? Peter is speaking here. And we see that uh, he is a, he's defined, he's identified as a bondservant. A bondservant is a slave. We don't like to use that terminology today, do we? Slave, we, it ruffles a lot of feathers today, but essentially a bondservant is a slave. To whom is he a slave? To the Lord Jesus. How else does he identify himself? An apostle. An apostle is a sent one. In fact, Peter, we know from the scripture, was one of the 12 who ministered alongside Jesus during his first visitation. Remember that? Okay. An apostle is is a sent one. Peter is an apostle of Jesus, having been sent out by the Lord himself with those two words. Sent with two words. Follow me. That's what Jesus told Peter and his brother Andrew. Follow me. Simple, isn't it? Follow me. Nets were dropped. Fishing boats left behind. Following Jesus is what consumed Peter's days. I want you to notice what he's not identified with. Notice how he's not identified. He's not identified in the text as a fisherman extraordinaire. Do you see that? Nothing about his fisherman uh, vocation in here. He's not not, uh, titled as uh, 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 someone who's a a professional net mender. He's not uh, titled as, labeled as a fishing expert or a fishing coach or a a fishing uh, instructor, trainer. Nowhere do we see that. He's identified as a bondservant and apostle of Jesus. In other words, this is so important for us to get. In other words, he knows Jesus. He knows Jesus. We're reading 
from one who knows the main attraction of the end times. Who's the main attraction? Jesus. We're re- that's important for us to understand who it is we're reading from. Yes, we're reading, moved by the Holy Spirit, but Peter is the one who's writing this epistle. It's important to know who he is. So we have these three chapters in 2 Peter. We also have five other chapters in his first epistle. We have eight chapters of material from one who knows Jesus. One who who spent his days with Jesus. One who walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus. Had intimate conversations with Jesus. One who saw Jesus and how he dealt with difficult people. One who heard Jesus preach and teach. One who witnessed Jesus' healings. So we have in Peter one who knows Jesus. And we're reading from one who knows. There's a certain level of comfort there in knowing this. Because there's all kinds of theories and all kinds of thoughts surrounding Jesus in his second coming. But I put and submit to you this morning, Peter, as the writer here of this epistle... Don't you think we can learn a great deal from someone who knows Jesus at such an intimate level? That's that's who's writing this. Let's let's be aware of that as we read through it. So the source of the text comes from one who knows Jesus, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Okay? That said, I want to establish some tutorial helps right up front. Really, these are big ideas on the subject matter. And so to do that, I want to begin with what is clear regarding the end times. What is clear? There is so much that is not clear that people want to toss and banter and and have discussions and debates about. What I want to do is, right up front, give you some things that are clear. Some things that are very clear from the Word. Okay, This will serve as a very helpful tool as we go through. All right, So that's what we're going to do. A reminder of what is clear. It's, It's intended to provide encouragement, but I also believe in many ways it sets the compass of your thinking on that which is most important. I mean, how often do we spend our days in general wandering, distracted, getting sidetracked by something? In fact, the person that we're reading from, Peter, do you remember a few times in his life when he got distracted? When he got sidetracked with some things? I think it's interesting that in this epistle, he uses the word reminder, reminder, reminder. He's reminding the people to whom he's writing. He doesn't want them to forget. He doesn't want them to get sidetracked. He wants them to get this, that Jesus is coming back, and the fact that he's coming, we ought to now be living a certain way. Okay? So that's a, that's a pretty big deal that he's, he's putting forward here. So here's the first one on your sheet. The tutorial helps. God alone knows the when. God alone knows the when. Right? There's, there's several scriptures here. I included some of them on your sheet. Acts 1, 7. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 and 2, Matthew 24, 36 says, But of that day, and this is Jesus speaking, of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven know. Did you hear that? Not even the angels know. Elsewhere, I think Jesus says, this is only reserved. My Father's the only one that knows. Times and dates. God's the only one who knows the when. Now, there's a lot of men who have tried to predict the return of Jesus, haven't they? Dates, dates have been set by man, but the Bible says, the, the Bible says that God alone holds the times and the dates of Jesus' return. That's pretty clear, okay? It's pretty clear. Here's the next one. 
Jesus' second coming is certain. It's certain. Put it in the bank. It's going to happen. It's going to come back. John 14, 2 and 3. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. Here, listen, can, can we just make sure there are many mansions? Sometimes we get stuck on the word mansions. And we get stuck there. There's more to it after the mansions. Okay, houses, buildings. He's, he's, he's got something. It's not building made with hands like here. But he's building and preparing a place for us. Many mansions. If it were not so, Jesus said, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So you get the idea that Jesus, before he leaves, his first visitation, he's getting, he's getting ready to go to the cross, he's getting ready to ascend to be back with the Father, and he's telling them that if I go, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. So that when I come back, so that when I come back, He's preparing them for his return. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord, what? Will come. It's going to happen. The day of the Lord will come. And he tells us and he describes how it's going to happen, like a thief in the night. Next one. Jesus is coming as judge. He's coming as judge. He'll judge the world in regard to righteousness. Acts 17, 31, I love this. Paul speaking to that group in Athens. Those really smart people in Athens, remember that? All they did was get together and talk about the latest theories of the day. And hey, you know about Jesus, and this sounds kind of strange, as Jesus and resurrection stuff. Tell us a little bit more about it. And Jesus is saying, hey, that God that you said to an unknown God, let me tell you about that God. And he goes on, he talks about it. When he gets to chapter 17, verse 31 of Acts, and he says, God commands now everyone, everywhere to repent because he's appointed a day. Listen to this. Paul is he's telling everybody in the Areopagus this. These people are probably just going, what is he talking about? God's commanded me to repent. And he goes on, he says, that God's appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, capital M, whom he has ordained, Oh, who's this man? He's given assurance of this, Paul says, to all by raising him from the dead. Church, who did he raise from the dead? Jesus. Jesus is the one who is going to judge the world in righteousness. Therefore, he's calling all men right now to repent. And by the way, he didn't just make that call back in Acts 17. That's still happening. That's call still available today. Repent. So he's coming as judge. Here's the next one. Judgment is coming to all. Judgment is coming to all. Listen, can, can I just be real clear on what the Bible says here about this judgment? Judgment is happening. It's going to come to all. To, to some, everlasting life with Jesus in heaven. To others, everlasting punishment, destruction, with Satan and his demons in hell. Matthew 25, 46, the end of the parable that Jesus is preaching. He says, and these will go away into everlasting punishment. Remember, he's talking about the sheep and the goats. Remember that parable? These are going to go away to everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. John 5, 28 and 29, Jesus says, the hour is coming when all who are in their graves are going to hear my voice and they're going to come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Life, condemnation. Read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 3 to 10. 
It, it's a pretty frightening picture of what's going to happen to those who do not know God, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things while done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. We're going to be judged. Judgment's coming to all. Next one, the world is passing away. What's passing away? The world. The world's passing away. The Bible says it's going to burn up. It's going to burn up. 2 Peter 3.10, the day of the Lord comes a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. I didn't make it up. It's right here. It's going to happen. First John 2.15-17, do not love the world. Do you get an understanding now why John says do not love the world? Do not love the world or the things in the world. Verse 17 of chapter 2, he says that the world is passing away in the lust of it. Don't hold on to the world. You're holding on to, to something that's not going to be around. In, in, our, in our language today, that would be considered a poor investment of your time, wouldn't it? Why would you invest in something that's not going to last? Matthew 6 speaks to that very idea. 19 and 20, not laying up for yourselves treasures on earth. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And he says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Is your heart set on things here on earth? Or is it set on things in heaven? Jesus is preaching that in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. Here's the next bullet. A new heaven and earth is coming. A new heaven and earth is coming. 2 Peter 3, 13. We, that's the believers in Christ to whom he's speaking. We, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Revelation 21, 1 and 2. John says, I saw. Now I saw. What did he see? I saw a new heaven and a new earth. He's telling us what he's seeing. What's yet to come. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had what? Passed away. Also, there was no more sea. He says that almost like, the, like, like in Genesis. Oh, and he made the stars too. Oh, and there's no more sea. Huh? There's no more sea. That's a pretty big deal. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride for her husband. Here's the last one of the bullets. The book of life contains the role of heaven-bound saints. The book of life. Revelation 20, verse 15, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Lake of fire, place of eternal torment, place of eternal punishment, place of eternal separation from God. Doesn't sound like a place I want to be, church. John 3.18 tells us what lands people there, how people get there, how they arrive there in that place. Jesus said, he who believes in him is not condemned. Remember Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. But Jesus says in John 8.3.18, he who does not believe 
is condemned already because he's not believed in the only begotten Son of God. All these things are clearly written in God's Word. It's probably not a surprise to some of you here to hear these tutorial helps. If you're in Christ and you're listening to this, I hope these upfront helps are reminders to you, reminders of what God has clearly set forth in his word of truth. And so we have this trustworthy source. We have Peter, bondservant apostle of Jesus, and we've been given several clear statements pertaining to the end times as upfront helps. I want you to see these statements, these upfront helps, as a, a clear, concise reference manual into the tutorial, okay? These helps will be useful resources when questions arise about the end times. You can turn back to these bullets. These are very clear statements about what is true. So now we ask the question, where do we go from here? I'd like to structure the remainder of the tutorial on end times into three chapter headings. Okay, Three chapter headings is where we're going. So chapter one on your outline okay, is a reminder. All three of these are reminders, by the way, because that's what Peter has given to us in 2 Peter. A reminder. So we have here chapter one, a reminder of commonalities. Commonalities. I'd like to subtitle this chapter... What do we share in common being in Christ? What are the commonalities? What do we share in common being in Christ? Let me give you four of them. First one is we share a like precious faith by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We share a like precious faith. Look at it with me in 2 Peter. To those who have obtained like precious faith. This is verse 1, chapter 1, 2 Peter. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 3, Paul's talking about this righteousness of God now, which is apart from the law, has come, right? Philippians chapter 3, Paul's talking about how he's wanting to to, uh, gain Christ and be found in Christ, not having my own righteousness, he says, which is from the law, but having... That which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God, through faith. Romans 10, remember Paul has such a love for his countrymen. They were zealous for God, he says, but they were lacking in knowledge. And he says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness. They were ignorant of God's righteousness and they were seeking to establish their own righteousness. You know what? Elsewhere in Isaiah 64 talks about the contents of our own righteousness. It's like filthy rags. And here he's talking about Romans 10. He says his own countrymen, they had, a, they had a zeal for God, but they missed it. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. They tried to establish their own righteousness and they've not submitted to the righteousness of God. And he says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Everyone who believes. So what do we share in common? First thing, right out of the gate here, is we share a like precious faith in Christ by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our second thing we share, we share his divine power. We share his divine power. This is good to know. We share his divine power. Okay, look again at the word. Verse 3. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His divine power in the person of the Holy Spirit provides us with all that we need for godliness and life here. But listen, there's more. His divine power in us also provides, listen to what it provides. Security and assurance or um, an earnest payment, a down payment. 
You ever made a down payment on a home? An earnest payment, that's the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. The guarantee of our inheritance to come, Paul says in Ephesians 1. Having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. And we see it again in 2 Corinthians 5, 5, where God says He's also given to us the Spirit as a guarantee. A guarantee. What do we share in common? We've been fully resourced in the Holy Spirit, His divine power. Here's the third thing we share in common. We share in His promises. His promises. Look again at verse 4. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. I love the descriptors because those are so true of these promises. Exceedingly great, aren't they? And precious. They're wonderful promises that he's given to us. The one who called us to himself has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. And it's through these promises, says Peter, that you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped, listen, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. That's verse 4. We're reminded in Ephesians 2 of who we once were in the flesh. Paul says at that time, listen to how he defines When we're outside of Christ, at that time, you were without God, without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenants of promise. Those promises weren't good for you at one point because you were outside. You were on the outside looking in. You were walking your own way. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's Ephesians 2, 11 to 13. You see, God has promised a whole lot of things to his people. And a lot of these promises are right here in the word, friends. Right here in the word. We share together in the promises of God. We share knowing that what he promises, listen, what he promises, he will perform. He will do what he says he'll do. He's the God who is able, amen? He's able. All things are possible with this God of the scriptures. That's the testimony we have before us in the word. What he says, he will do. Peter addresses how we understand the second coming of Christ. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, he says, We, listen to what he says, according to his promise. According to his promise, we look forward to the new heaven and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. We wait for the one whose word is true. Always true. Joshua 21, 45, the end of Joshua. I love this, this verse. He says, not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Not a word failed. What's that tell us? His promises are true. What he's put down, what he's revealed to us is absolutely true. Do you believe it to be true this morning? Do you read it with that kind of expectation when you open it that this is his word and it is true? Well, here's the fourth thing we share. We share a reservation. A reservation. And this comes from Peter's first epistle. Chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Talks about we've been given through this resurrection, this living hope that we have. We've been given, uh, given into this inheritance which is incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away. Listen, here's the word. Reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith 
for salvation ready to be revealed in the last days. We share a reservation kept on file by God himself. Isn't that good news? And hey, listen, have you, ever, have you ever had a reservation at a, at a hotel and you call and, and, and you call and you say, hey, I'm, I got a reservation for tomorrow night, just checking and confirm. And they're like, I don't know who you are. They lost our reservation. Have you ever, you ever been in a situation where someone's lost your reservation? Maybe you went to dinner, a nice place to eat dinner, and you had a reservation, and you show up, and they don't have you down. Guess what? I'm going to give you some encouraging news this morning. The reservation that you have if you are in Christ, if you have his divine power, a person of the Holy Spirit residing within you, that seal guaranteeing your inheritance, it's a reservation kept in heaven for you. And God is not going to lose your reservation. That's good news. It's kept by him. Held by his promise. It's great news for us, church. Because no matter what's going on here on earth, in Christ, we have a reservation in heaven. And it's held securely by God the Father. It's ready. It's waiting. And blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has begotten us again to this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We're going to talk about the resurrection here in two weeks. It's good news. So we share a like precious faith. We share his divine power. We share his promises and we share a reservation to be with Jesus in heaven. So this reminder is set forth in the text of the commonalities that we share in Christ. So it's good to remember these. Good to soak them in. Let's go to chapter 2. Chapter 2 is a reminder of call and context. Call and context. I want to deal with call first. Talk about Peter for just a moment. How he grasped his calling as a follower of Jesus. Remember he fell uh, on more than one occasion, didn't he? He he sinned on more than one occasion, but we see Peter, we see him repent. We see him return back to the Lord. He sought the Lord. He had a heart to see others know the Lord Jesus as well. And Peter, at the point of this second epistle, is unashamedly calling his brethren to take heed to the prophetic word. Peter is saying, listen to what God has to say, friends. I'm about to die. And he says that. That's chapter 1. He's talking about verse 14. Shortly, I must put off my tent. My tent, that's my earthen body, Peter says. I'm about to die. The Lord Jesus revealed to me I'm about to go. But he's calling them to take heed to what God has to say. I'm going to do all I can, Peter says, to stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. Peter was captured by the call of Christ. Captured and called into the service of the king through those two words. Follow me. Follow me. He drops his nets and he follows. And at the end of Christ's earthly ministry, you might remember this encounter that Jesus has with Peter in the conversation by the sea. Remember that? Jesus restores his servant. He restores. I say he restores because not long before that, Peter is found, what? Denying his Lord three times. And when Peter finds out through John that that's Jesus on the shore, do you remember what Peter does? Peter doesn't wait for the boat to get to shore. Peter just flat out jumps in the water. And he's going to swim. Because he wants to get to Jesus. See, Peter was all about Jesus. And now I believe in this epistle, he's calling us, the listener, to follow Jesus. 
Jesus is calling you as well. Follow him. And he tells them here in this first chapter of 2 Peter, he's reminding them. You remember that time when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain? He says, I was an eyewitness to that account. I heard God speak to his son. Wow! Can you imagine being privy to that one? He's on the Mount Transfiguration. God is speaking about his son in whom he's well pleased. Peter got to hear it. In verse 19, chapter 1. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. You bet it's confirmed. Wouldn't you say the same thing if you heard that? Uh, hey, I'd be, I'd be wanting to let everybody know. It's confirmed. What God says is true. What Jesus says, it's true. Follow Jesus. You look at the beginning of chapter 3. He says, I now write to you this second epistle. In both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. There's the word again. Why? That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, who's us? The apostles, of which Peter is one. Now, this is interesting because, don't don't lose this, because he's calling them to heed the word, the prophetic word. We read in in, in Ephesians chapter 2, 19 and 20. That the household of God is built upon what? Whom? It's built upon the prophets and the apostles with Jesus Christ himself as the what? Chief cornerstone. And what's Peter doing? He's calling us, calling his listener, and by extension us, calling us to heed the prophetic word. Listen to what the prophets had to say and listen to what I'm saying as one of the apostolic witnesses, the one who was an eyewitness Peter's leaving, but he's exhorting through constant reminders, communicating with the brethren how they can prepare themselves for what's to come. Listen to what God has to say. Remind yourself of what the holy prophets have spoken before you. Take heed to our words. Listen to our testimony. Listen, friends, how is it that many so often get thrown off course by the time the end comes in their life? How do we get thrown off course? Most of the time, listen, it can be traced back to disobedience to the word of God. Most of the time, it can be traced right back to disobedience, to unbelief, to straying from the truth. How can a young man cleanse his way, the Bible says, by taking heed, what? According to your word. Let me not wander from your commandments, the psalmist says. He says, I will not forget your word. He says, I've chosen the way of truth. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you've given me life. Peter is calling, and the Lord, I believe, is calling Us today, through Peter, in his word, be mindful of my words, take heed to them, obey them, embrace them, for in doing so you will be prepared for the salvation ready to be revealed in these last days. The call to take heed and listen to his word, it's set in a context. Let's go there for just a moment. The context. That's the bulk of 2 Peter chapter 2. In an environment filled with brothers and sisters... Taking heed to the word of God, obeying what he has to say. It's much easier to do that in this kind of context, isn't it? Amen? When you have other brothers and sisters around you, exhorting you, encouraging you, speaking words of life into you, it's much easier to obey what God has to say. But Peter's writing this epistle, and he spends a good portion, he spends at least a third, if not more, of the epistle, reminding them of the context that they live in. 
Filled with false teachers and deceivers. Let me give you some characteristics. You probably won't be able to write all these down, but you can go back and, and write them down in your own time. Listen to some of these characteristics of the false teachers, of this context in, in which he's writing. They're secretive. They deny the Lord Jesus. By the way, I don't, I'm not making these up. These are all right here in the Bible. Okay? All these descriptors that I'm giving, they're all right here. Most of them are in 2 Peter chapter 2. They exploit you with deceptive words. They despise authority. They're self-willed. They speak evil of things that they don't understand. They entice unstable souls. They have hearts that are trained in covetous practices. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray. They're untaught and unstable people who twist the scriptures. They twist the scriptures. How do they twist it? Well, they twist it to make it sound like what they want it to sound like. You know, if they search long and hard enough, they can find a paraphrase that might fit their point. They, they twist it. They promise liberty, freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. They're scoffers who walk according to their own lust. Now, that's quite a list of characteristics. But not only does he describe in this letter their characteristics, he goes on to define their end. What's the end of such people? I want you to note something here, that it's good to know what happens to such folks who have these characteristics. Should you think about following in their way? I'm grateful that the Lord, through Peter, has put the end of these kinds of people. Here's here's the end. Again, I didn't make this up. This is right here in the Word. They bring on themselves swift destruction. Notice the wording. They bring on themselves swift destruction. Their judgment has not been idle. (laughs) In other words, what they're doing, what they're doing, forsaking the Lord, the Lord is... Seeing all that they're doing. And he may not be judging them in that moment, but he's got the judgment taken care of. His judgment's not idle. Their destruction does not slumber. They will utterly perish in their own corruption. They will receive the wages of unrighteousness. The wages of sin is what? Death. They're going to receive the wages of unrighteousness. In other words, this God we serve is a just God. God, Notice in these these verses, this is so important about God. Because some people think that God's just up there just, you know, at random bonking people. Saying, nope. That's not the picture you see here. They are bringing about their own swift destruction. They're choosing works of unrighteousness. They have a reservation as well. Remember, we have a reservation. These people have a reservation as well. Chapter 2, verse 17 says, For whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. That's the reservation. How'd you like that reservation? Oh, by the way, it only gives us a, a, a sampling of that reservation. Not only is it blackness of darkness forever, but it's also eternal torment. Friends, we live in enemy, we're talking about context. We live in enemy territory, don't we? The Bible says in 1 John 5, 19, that we live under the sway of the evil one. Oh, yes, but for a time. But but for a time, that is true. 
the context that we live in. We don't need to look far to see ungodly and unrighteous living around us. Amen? It's, it's all around us. Be aware of your context. Know that you are a sojourner, a pilgrim here on earth, and as a citizen of heaven, you have a reservation awaiting with Jesus in heaven. Remember that. The context makes it difficult, some of you might say. It's, it's just hard to live here in the midst of all this filth, in the midst of all this perverse generation, to use the terms the Bible uses. It's difficult. Listen, Jesus himself said this in Matthew seven fourteen: Narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few, not a whole lot, there are few who find it, Jesus says. The text says in 2 Peter 2, 18, that these false teachers, this is so important, these false teachers are intentional about their deception. Look at their primary targets in verse 18. When they speak great swelling words of emptiness... They allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in air. Who are they trying to allure? Who are their primary targets? You. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are the primary target. They're after the follower of Jesus. The end times are upon us, and in these last days, perilous times will come. We live in the midst of a day when certain folks are not enduring sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they are heaping up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. By the way, I didn't make those words up either. Paul wrote those words to Timothy. Don't be turned aside. Don't be led astray. Be strong in the Lord in these last days. The end of all things is at hand. It's at hand. Therefore, church, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Give no place to the devil. Make no provision for the flesh either. And love not the world. The devil, the flesh, the world. Three great enemies. That's our context. Instead, let's put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's chapter 3. We're about done. Chapter 3. It's a reminder of conduct. Conduct. So we have a reminder of the commonalities of what we share together. We have a reminder of call and context. And we have a reminder of conduct. The end times are are often taught and understood solely as a collection of ordering or or sequencing of events pertaining to when Jesus is coming back. And the Bible speaks to a millennial 1,000 year reign. It speaks to a thief in the night arrival, uh, the Son of Man coming on the clouds, a trumpet blast, the accompaniment of angels, a great white throne, streets of gold. All those things are mentioned in the Bible, but my purpose here isn't primarily that we have the sequencing flawless. Nor do I believe that nailing down the sequence of end times events makes us more spiritual than another brother down the road. I'm proclaiming to you what I know to be true in God's word. 
Simply put, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And in light of his return, I'd like to conclude this morning with one final word of exhortation, one final reminder. It's the church of Jesus Christ, you see, is to live in light of eternity. The church is called to live as though she really believes in Christ's second coming. Here's a question. If you truly believe Jesus is returning, how then ought you to live right now? If Jesus is coming back, what's that mean for your living right now? Let me ask it this way. Would you live any differently than what you're currently living in light of Jesus returning? In light of the certainty of his return? And that's the question that Peter really is addressing to his audience here in 2 Peter. He says, what manner of persons ought you to be? In light of the world passing away, in light of it burning up, how should you spend the remainder of your days? What should your conduct be in these perilous days? What should it look like? Peter says that scoffers are going to come in these last days. Chapter 3, starting in verse 3. They're going to come in these last days walking according to their own lusts. And here's what they're going to say. Here's the question. Notice the question. Where is the promise of his coming? Where? Where is it? You can almost, you can almost see them. Their chests are out as they're asking the question. Where is the promise of his coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Nothing's happened. Peter says, Beloved, do not forget. Notice that word, forget. Do not forget. Remember, in other words. Do not forget this one thing. This is verse 8, chapter 3. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. That means God's got a different frame of work, doesn't he, with time than what you and me have. We we, we like things to be done right now. We like to see results right now. We're a right now kind of people. He's telling them something about the Lord here. The Lord's not slack concerning his promise. The Lord's going to keep his promise. He says, instead of you thinking about it that way, understand it this way. The Lord is long-suffering, he's patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He says both the earth and the works that are in it are going to be burned up, therefore since all these things will be dissolved. And it's right here where Peter inserts that question pertaining to their own conduct. What manner of persons ought you to be? What manner of persons, that's verse 11, chapter 3, what manner of persons ought you to be? The heavens are going to be destroyed, being on fire. The elements will melt with fervent heat. That's verse 12. It sounds frightening. It sounds like a bad science fiction novel. I mean, it's really stuff that's going to happen. It's God's word. The world's passing away. The comforts of this world are going to burn up. 2 Peter 3, verse 7 says, The heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, that same word, by the way, is the word of God, Reserved for fire. The heavens and the earth 
are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. They're reserved for fire. So what do we do? How do we respond to such news? Well, we hold on to God's promise by faith. That Jesus is coming back. And we look for this new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Chapter 3, verse 13. We eagerly await a Savior as a citizen of heaven. Philippians 3, 21. Those who share this hope of Christ's return, what else are we going to be doing? Purifying ourselves in the interim, just as he is pure. That's 1 John 3, verse 3. What's our conduct to look like as we keep the faith, persevere all the way to the finish line? And that finish line might be when your time here is done or when Jesus himself comes back. So here's, let me give you some rules of conduct that Peter gives us. First of all, holy conduct. How do we conduct our lives? Holy. Be holy. In his first epistle, he says that we're to be holy because what? God's holy. Be holy because I'm holy, he says. That's Old Testament. Peter's taking it and using it right here. As we think about living in these last days, the end times, what kind of conduct ought we to have? Holy. How about godliness? Godliness, that's, that's chapter 3, verse 11. How much training is going on in the realm of godliness in our lives? You know, we train ourselves to be good at this and to be good at that and, 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 and to be skilled and, and to advance in all these things. Let me ask you this this morning. How are we doing in training ourselves in godliness? It's going to come in handy in the last days, friends. Here's some other ways we conduct ourselves. We ought to be living lives that are anticipatory, with eagerness for the arrival of Jesus. That's verse 12. Verse 12. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Looking for and hastening the coming. It leads us to be watchful. It leads us to be alert. It leads us to be sober-minded in our behavior. The Lord is coming. How else? It says, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot or blemish. That's 3.14. Looking forward to these things. Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. When the Lord returns, will he find us faithful? Right? I think if we think about conduct, we also ought to be evangelistic in our conduct. Evangelistic. When we grasp that Jesus' long-suffering is salvation, that will serve as fuel for our witnessing efforts. If we know that Jesus hasn't come back as a result of his long-suffering towards sinful man, we should see this interim period here on earth. We are pilgrims and sojourners here, remember? We should see it as golden opportunities to be witnesses to Jesus. It's the Lord's desire that none perish. It's the Lord's desire that all come to repentance and turn by faith to trust Jesus with their lives. And the day of the Lord is coming, but woe to the person who's found not ready. Let's do our part, friends, to see that those in our homes... Our friends, our colleagues, let's make every effort to see that they have heard the good news and that they have seen the good news in us. The end of all things is near. Time is short. And then we see in verse 17, in terms of conduct, beware, beware. Do not be deceived by the error of the wicked. Don't be deceived. How often in the scriptures do you see that phrase? Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived, my dear brethren. 
Don't be deceived. Verse 18. Keep on growing. How do we conduct our lives? Keep on growing. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. A lot of us know that verse. It's the last verse in, in, in Peter's second epistle. But I wonder if we know that verse as it sits in the context in which he's writing. He's calling, it's the last word in his epistle. And he's calling us to a, a certain kind of conduct in light of these end times. Grow in the grace. As newborn babes, he says in his first epistle, desire the pure milk of the word that you may what? Grow thereby. Friends, if you're not in this word, you're going to have a hard time growing. This is how we grow. This is how we get fed. This is how we get nourishment. Through his word. Psalmist says, strengthen me according to your word. Not according to... He doesn't say, strengthen me according to the number of conferences that I attend. Strengthen me according to the number of church services that I go to. Strengthen me according to your word. That's how we get strengthened. That's how we grow. Abide in the vine. What's God have to say about the end times? They're imminent. The Lord is near. He's coming back as judge. And that is frightening if you are not found covered by the blood of Jesus. Frightening. Comforting, though, if you've believed in the name of Jesus and received him as Lord of your life. And by faith, you've been walking with him and desire to walk with him all the way to the end. The tutorial has been submitted, and I pray that it whets your appetite for what's to come. I'd like to give you, as we close, these first action steps in your preparation for what's to come. First steps. What, what, what do we, where do we go from here? Let me give you three. And these three, I've just been hammering these three with you all for a long period of time. Because they're so important. Everybody needs to make sure we get these three things. Repent of your sin. Turn to God by faith. And carry out works that are befitting a repentant life. And again, I didn't make those up. Those are, those are Paul's words. Acts 26, as he's standing before King Agrippa. He's testifying to King Agrippa. Here's what I've done. I've gone around the Mediterranean. And here's what I've done, Agrippa. I've called people to repent of their sin. I've called them to turn to God by faith. And I've also called them to do works befitting a repentant life. And that's why I stand here on trial. Be in relationship to Jesus, in other words. Know him. Be found in him. Serve him. Conduct your stay here on earth with godly fear. The song we're going to sing here in just a moment is called Without Him. Listen, without Him, you can do nothing. Without Him, you are lost. Without Him, you're going to have the reservation in darkness forever. I don't say all this to frighten you and scare you. I say all that to, I want to make sure you know what's clear in the Word. I want to make sure you know the truth. But with him, you will share for all eternity the fullness of joy that comes to those in Christ. Listen, I want to give you these, these wonderful verses from Revelation 22. I think they're on your outline. Behold, I am coming quickly. I am coming quickly. 
and my reward is with me. To give to everyone according to his work. I, this is, listen to who he is. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And in Revelation twenty two twenty, surely I am coming quickly. In one chapter, friends, he says this three times. Jesus is coming quickly. Remember his, his, his words from 2 Peter, a thousand days is like one, and one is like a thousand. So, so when, when we read quickly, we're going to ourselves. We can't, we can't act like the scoffers in Peter's day. Where is the coming of the Lord? Where is the promise of his coming? His word says he's coming quickly. Do you believe that he's coming quickly? Do you believe it? And will you live it from this day forward like you believe it? I would conclude with those words from Revelation 22. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. That ought to be our heart's desire. Come. We desire for the Lord Jesus to come. When he comes, will he find us faithful? Will he find us ready? I pray that he does. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your good word. I thank you, Lord, for the encouragement as we, as we talk about these end times and what we believe about these end times before us. Your word speaks a great deal about what's yet to come. And I pray, Lord, that we would be consumed with what we have before us in your word that is clear. These, these things that we can hold on to with great certainty. And that together as a body of Christ, we can walk in what's certain, what we know to be true from the word. And that as sojourners and pilgrims here on earth, we can exhort one another onward in Christ. And even more so as the day approaches. Help us, Lord, to be found faithful to you when your son Jesus Christ returns. And I pray, Father, for everyone here that those first action steps would be true in their life. That as we talk about what's going to happen in these end times, Lord, it's so important. It's, 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 a, it's a critical piece that everyone repents of their sin. Everyone turns to God by faith and exercises a life that exhibits fruit and character of one who is repentant, one whose heart has been changed, one whose mind has been renewed, the Bible calls this person a new creation. May it be so, Lord, with everyone here. And may we be diligent to see that others arrive at that starting point as well. Your long-suffering is salvation. Help us to understand and grab a hold of that truth. May it move us and compel us to tell others about Jesus in the days that you've given to us. I pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.